Hey there, listeners. Classical Classroom editor Mark DeClaudio here. Today's episode features not one, but two awesome guests, conductor Franz Anton Krager and trumpet player Mark Hughes. Full disclosure, I, in fact, am a trumpet player, and Mark Hughes is my trumpet sensei, and I am therefore required to say only positive things about him. If you're in the Houston area, Franz and Mark are going to be performing a concert at the Texas Music Festival on June 11, 2016, featuring music that you're going to hear in today's episode. Go check them out. Use your Googles for more information. Also, Mark Hughes is better than cats. I want to see him play again and again. Anywho, if you enjoyed today's episode, as we predict you will, based on careful mathematical analysis, make sure to go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review us. Because if we were you, we would... Enjoy the episode. De Claudio out. My name is Daisha Clay. I'm the audio librarian here at Classical 91.7. While I'm a real librarian, I have a deep, dark secret. I know very little about classical music. I grew up listening to rock. And I know something about jazz. But when it comes to classical... But I really want to learn. So... Every week on this show, a classical music expert will give me a piece of classical music they think I should know, and then we'll discuss it. Come learn with me in the Classical Classroom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Classical Classroom. I'm Daisha Clay, and here with me today is Franz Anton Krager. And I, you know what? I'm going to start again because I want you to pronounce your name you did perfect. Me. I did fine. Franz Krager? Anton Krager. Franz Anton no, Fran, Krager. Franz. You not said it right Franz. the first time. Not Franz, no. <laughs> and Mark Hughes? Yes. <laughs> yes. Pretty, pretty straight okay. All right. Franz Anton Krager and Mark Hughes. Franz and Mark are going to be performing together at the Texas Music Festival, which will be happening from June 3rd to July 2nd. So if you're here in the Houston area, make sure and go check that out. Uh, Franz is the music director and chief conductor of the Texas Music Festival. Uh, He's professor of conducting, director of orchestras, and chair of the conducting department at the University of Houston's Moore School of Music. He's led symphonies all over the world, including our own Houston Symphony. Mark is a principal trumpet player in the Houston Symphony. Or is it just, do you just say principal trumpet? That's sufficient. Yes, that's good. And Mark is principal trumpet of the Houston Symphony. Uh, He's performed and recorded with the Boston and Chicago symphonies as well. He's uh, an affiliate artist and trumpet at the University of Houston's Moore School of Music. Guys, welcome to the Classical Classroom. Thank you for having us. Thank you, So as I understand, we're going to be talking about Respighi's Pines of Rome today. But, But before we get to that, you guys are going to be performing together at a concert at the Texas Music Festival, and Franz will be conducting. Mark, you're going to be playing trumpet solos. And I noticed as I was looking at the information online that there's going to be sort of a Roman theme to the program. So why did you guys decide on this theme? What's the importance of Rome to classical music? What's the link there? Uh, let's get the, the horse before the cart. Okay. I've been doing a lot of Mahler symphonies over the last several years, and maybe too many. I thought maybe the, <laughs> these couple of years here I should do something else, because I've been on kind of a Mahler, a Mahler road here. Yeah. So to give that a rest and go to something else, I thought, gee, it would be nice to do something like the Pines of Rome. And then I got to be thinking about what that meant. And that's a, it's a 20-minute piece, and then I've got to, of course, program the rest of the concert. And I thought, why— 
you don't usually hear the three big Respighi tone poems all on the same concert. Mm-hmm. Ottorino Respighi was actually born in Bologna, but he lived most of his professional life in Rome and really adopted Rome as his his city. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the music that he wrote over the over the years uh, was related to the city of Rome. Hmm. And he's done lots of tone poems. Tone poems meaning uh, stories that are told in music. Right. We've talked. We had an uh, episode about tone poems once on the show, and I thought, I thought okay, it was Okay. Well, it's like it's like yeah. telling a, a story. Yeah. About, about places, people, things in musical terms. Mm-hmm. And he did lots of those things. I haven't counted up how many tone poems. Do you happen to know right off the top I of your don't. head? It's something like seven or eight. But the big three that every orchestra in the world plays are the Pines of Rome, the Festivals of Rome, uh-huh. and the Fountains of Rome. Huh. Those are the big ones. And they're all in the in the vicinity of 15 to 20 minutes long. And, but you don't usually hear them together. Yeah. Um, and I decided, why not? I mean, it's a big a big piece of work for the orchestra to do. To, to, these are all big blows, mm-hmm. all three of these. But it, we're doing Mahler Symphony, so why why can't the right. students do yeah. three tone poems? Even I, mean, I know that's big. That's big. Yeah. <laughs> and these are big. And so what we're going to do is the three big tone poems, mm-hmm. uh, and then intersperse between them with Mark coming out and playing these trumpet mm. concertos. Okay. Interesting. So... Tell me a little bit more about Respighi. You you said a little bit about him. He wasn't from Rome, but he kind of well Bologna. Yeah, his Bologna home. is kind of in the middle of Italy. It's yeah. an important city uh, for opera, uh, especially. Uh, but he moved to Rome as a as a young man mm-hmm. and and adopted Rome, and he really became Roman and all things Roman. Yeah. And so most of the music he writes, uh, he's inspired by things that happen in Rome. And when when did he? Live? 1879 to 1936. So okay. he's considered 20th century. 20, okay. Uh-huh. Okay. So he likes to use a big orchestra with lots of colors and lots of percussion and lots of harp and piano and celesta and all the little tinkly things that go on. And, and birds. And, and birds, too. Birds. That's right. When we get to the Pines of Rome, he even has a, a little section of nightingales really? that are chirping. Yes. You actually have a recording. Nice. Of nightingales chirping, and, and that's part of the music. You you cue that up and play it over the music. You know, that kind of reminds me of An American in Paris, uh-huh. uh, where they use the car horns and things like that, which was also, wasn't that also a tone poem? Or oh, yes. Or can yes. be considered one? George Gershwin. Interesting. Absolutely. Apparently, these uh, tone poem guys, they like to use <laughs> sound effects. <laughs> well, t- tone poems are kind of cool because they're very symphonic in nature, but they're not as long in most cases as a symphony. Uh-huh. A symphony, you're talking somewhere between 30 and 40 minutes, sometimes even longer, 50 yeah. minutes sometimes. Tone poems are usually in the 20-minute area so you get a big mm-hmm. a big boom and it's over and done within 20 minutes and then you move on to something else yeah yeah well um i think that we should get to the music and then i might have some more questions as we're listening uh but would you guys mind if we listen to some and you can kind of tell me what's By going on Not okay at all. Love it. so what's the first thing we're going to listen to this is the roman festivals or festa romana uh, the first movement is entitled Circensis, and it takes place at the Circus Maximus. It starts out with trumpets, and it sets, <laughs> when you hear the trumpets come in, you'll, you feel very festive. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, it's pretty basic. <laughs> it's pretty basic. I think we sort of uh, trumpet players were pretty basic as it is, but you hear it and you're going to feel the festival. It's what it is. It's a big circus. Trumpets, you're going to feel the festival. That's <laughs> your tagline. But then, let's put this in context. So this festival is taking place in Roman times. Yeah. This is gladiator stuff. Okay. You, you picture in your mind the Circus Maximus is a great big ring where they released wild animals. Yeah. And, pitted them against gladiators and and had prisoners come in in chains and the animals would eat them up and and you remember oh sure and i'm sure your listeners yeah. know what i'm talking about yeah. uh, anything anytime you've seen something going on at the roman coliseum mm-hmm. that's what this music's all about so you hear trumpets fanfaring to call uh-huh. the people into place and to signal the fact that the next act is happening and then you hear crowd noises and yelling and screaming and then you hear other places where the music is very dour sounding when they're leading slaves in chains into the ring. Uh-huh. Well, you put all this together and you have the first movement here of okay. the Roman festivals. That's that's a good setup. Let's 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 hear some. And I feel the festival already. dramatic so. you, it's easy to picture in your mind yeah a, a coliseum sort of activity here mm-hmm. with it's very the grand wild beasts and the crowds cheering and the trumpets blaring and mm-hmm. it's fantastic if this doesn't get you going yeah check your pulse yeah. you're dead <laughs> yeah, indeed indeed you know it reminds me a little bit of the uh the fight scene music from rebel without a cause uh-huh. when they have that knife fight that spot yeah indeed yeah, that has a same sort of sound. What's the instrumentation that's going on there? Right there, yeah. that's bass trombone, tuba, letting it rip. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a just there's an yeah. uh, you know ominous yeah. quality to it all, animalistic. Mm-hmm. As, as Franz was yeah. saying, they're bringing the big animals yeah. in. Yeah. Now the strings yeah. play it, and it's. Trombones are just awesome in this piece. But right this moment we're in now, listen to that for a second. Mm -hmm. You can picture slaves being dragged in in chains. And and the wild animals being released. (laughs) Great story. (laughs) Uh, This episode of Classical Classroom may not be safe for children. (laughs) (laughs) You know, different composers are noted for different things. Uh, mm-hmm. Respighi, if you had to name one of the three greatest orchestrators 
that ever lived, Respighi, Adarina Respighi would be one of them. Orchestration means what part you give to what instrument. Yeah. Some composers just have a knack for giving the proper instruments the right part, and yeah. you put it all together and you get this kind of a sound. Mm-hmm. I can think of other great composers like Robert Schumann. Uh-huh who's not considered a great orchestrator. Great right. symphonies, great melodic material and, and everything about it, but his choice of instruments don't it's not as strong as, okay. as like this. I see. So you're saying that like uh, somebody who's not great at orchestration might pick a violin when instead they should be picking a viola or something yeah. like that. It's, you, it's you a know. combination of, of utilization of instruments, what yeah. to give what to. Okay. Just like a painter chooses colors mm-hmm. on his palette mm-hmm. and puts together different colors, primary colors to get yeah. certain shades, mm-hmm. Respighi had this gift for picking just the right amount of yeah. each one to get the exact color that made it come alive. Where Schumann, for instance, had these beautiful melodies, and I love Schumann symphonies. We all However, do. it's a struggle to play Schumann. Yeah. It's difficult in the orchestra because we have to kind of help him find the right color. I see. Because he's got too much brown and a little right. too much of this color, and we have to increase different ones uh, ourselves as mm-hmm. musicians uh, to make the colors really come alive. So you have to kind of struggle with the text. Exactly. Like, as we really do. As we do. And Mark, that's very well said. That's, that's, that's exactly what this is all about. And Respighi, what we love mm-hmm. about Respighi is, mm-hmm. I mean, listen to it. He, he died in 1936. Yeah. This would be amazing film music. Yeah, I was thinking that. From 1996 mm-hmm. or today. Mm-hmm. It's way ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I mean, for us as musicians, when we go back and we see something that is very apt to be current now that was done 100 years ago mm-hmm. or 75 years ago, you have to think, where did this guy get it? Right. You know, where did he come up with this? Yeah. yeah. The, like, that ability to, like, what was going on in his head? What was what mm-hmm. was inspiring him? And, well, you know, and this is going to sound like a dumb question, I'm sure. But but um, what I have always wondered, okay, when you're, when you're making music in a jazz quartet or you are making uh, music in a rock band or something like that, it's really easy to try out the music and the different instruments on the different parts live. Like you can do it as you're, as you're writing the music. But I've always wondered, since we were talking about orchestration, how a composer does it. Like, I mean, he doesn't have 10 instruments, you know, in the room with him. He's not running to them and going, oh, the violins will sound. Like, how does one do that? I think it comes from experience. Mm-hmm. I don't think they come from the womb knowing what colors uh, are going to produce yeah. certain sounds mm-hmm. and how they go together. Yeah. I mean, like when Copeland started writing, you know, he came up with some new pairings, instrumentally speaking, that people had not used before. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, putting a piccolo with a bass clarinet, and, you know, it just hadn't mm-hmm. been done. Yeah. And all of a sudden you do it and you get this unique color. Mm-hmm. So I think it's through experimentation. I literally think these people were experimenting mm-hmm. with colors yeah. like the rock musicians were experimenting with drugs in the 60s. I mean, they were sitting there. They are, they're addicted to getting more sound. I see. And it's a sound universe that they're dealing with. Do they, do they take like a draft to an orchestra and say, okay, try this out? And then go, no, that doesn't work. And then they move Sometimes, it around. Sometimes, you know. Now, not so much. But you got to think before all the electronic age, which we're in now, uh-huh. uh, Respighi didn't have access to any 
any recordings. Yeah. You had to go listen to live performances and right. remember based that you could get a copy of the score and you could see how what you were listening to yeah. was playing out. But th- then you had to remember this. I mean... Yeah. You have to remember like the the slight differences between violin and violin. You yeah. have to remember... There, there's a gift. To... Some people can actually hear the music in their head as they're reading a score. Uh-huh. And again, that's a, a developing sort mm-hmm. of okay. ability. I don't think anybody yeah. knows how to do that right away. But but a conductor like me that spent their whole life looking at scores, you actually can begin mm-hmm. after a certain time to sense and to pick up what that really would sound like. And when you're huh. studying it, uh, what you want to give the weight to, for instance, to balance something out. That is just an amazing ability. But see, someone <laughs> like me has the ability. I just have to go turn it on, download it, you know, put my CD right. on. I can hear somebody else do it, and I get something in my head. But these guys, yeah, you know, from from seventy five years ago back, they had nothing like that. Yeah, God, that's what what a brain. I mean, I know th- I know that was a little <laughs> bit of a digression. I've just always wondered, well, it's a great question. That, that actually is it what is. we deal with. Yeah. We a lot yeah. of times. Don't even talk about it. We that's our life. Yeah. We are always experimenting in sound, and um, we're doing it in subtle shades, like in my section and in, in mm-hmm. the orchestra. But we're always doing that. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we lose the ability to create, I think it's over. So yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, since we're talking about sort of instrumentation and orchestration, what uh, Spiegel it seems like had kind of a love for for brass instruments. Uh, doesn't everyone? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Mark. Everyone loves brass. Thank you. I, I've always thought that. Oh. But is that is that true? Even in in his his other works, I mean, is that is that kind of a theme you know, throughout? He his doesn't music? always employ brass. No, no, uh, no. I, I think that the truth is he uses all three. Well, actually, if you're going to include percussion, four areas. Okay. Um, so basically, almost he, equally as well. I mean, yeah, he knows this how to exploit. He does know how to exploit. I mean, it's just the string writing is equally as colorful. So yeah, you just we just haven't heard any yet in this little cut. Okay, but okay. Uh, throughout the course of all three of these tone poems, you're going to hear woodwinds shine and brass shine and strings shine and percussion and okay. keyboards and. Okay. Oh, yeah. I see. Well, we should we should hear some more music. Do you want to set up the next piece? Because well, think- we we could maybe jump to the pines. Yes. The the Pines of Rome. Pines now. of Rome. And, okay. And again, it's a four-movement tone poem Okay. Uh, depicting different areas in the city mm-hmm. where pine trees grow, uh-huh. but they're all different in their environment. Okay. All right. Um, and one little note to, to pay attention yeah. to from a trumpet player's perspective. You notice this last one that we listened to, the Roman festivals, the trumpets were blaring big and loud, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. this one... He uses Respighi in his brilliant mind. He mutes the trumpets. All of the trumpets are muted, and they get this snarly, buzzy sound. Mm-hmm. But just wait till you hear it. It's, okay. He still uses trumpets, but it's a completely different color. Nice. I'll listen for it. Yeah, the, the, we're going to start at the beginning, I take it, the, the pines of the Villa Borghese. This okay. is called the Villa Borghese is an area where lots of children gather, mm-hmm. and, and they play. It's like a big playground with beautiful pine trees growing nice. around, and the kids run around like kids do at a playground, stick out their tongue at each other. In fact, I love the end of this moment. In fact, I always tell the trumpet section, you are the tongue 
sticking out. Mm. <laughs> and the, because the note they play is non-harmonic to, to the chord that we're, the orchestra's uh-huh. in. The trumpets, if we get to the end of this, you'll hear. It just sounds like a kid sticking his tongue out at somebody else. Nice. But this whole <laughs> movement is all about the energy of youth and children running around and creating chaos, essentially. I love to play that note. I know. Did I hear one of you mention the celeste? Is that is that what the sort of bell sound is? It is. Okay. Uh-huh. I remember the first time I heard that instrument, I was like, wow, that person is playing the triangle amazingly well. <laughs> and I've got to just brag here that the University of Houston last year was privy to a, a big grant uh-huh. in the percussion area, and our percussion professor bought the most expensive celeste made in the world. It's German. Wow. And it's like $80,000 for this one instrument. Oh, my gosh. Oh, there's trumpet. Ah. But that's not the tongue yet. (laughs) So what I'm saying is uh, when you hear us this summer do it, we're going to have this incredible instrument. You're going to have one sweet celeste. He really kind of captures like the the drama of play as yeah. well as like the the fun part of it because it is really yeah. dramatic. When you're a kid, it's yeah. deadly serious sometimes. It's very simplistic yeah. in its melodic and, and, and harmonic structure, but the rhythm mm-hmm. is kind of chaotic, which yeah. children do. And now we're getting closer to the the note, the note, yeah. Here it comes. <laughs> there you have it. The trumpets, when they get to the B flat, it's like it's going to rip your driver on your, <laughs> <laughs> your stereo system. <laughs> they take it really seriously. That is, wow. That really sounds like little kids. It does. Like the repetitiveness, you know, like a little kid going, hey, 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 hey. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. That's great. We should hear another part of, of this Well, this poem. actually segues right into the second movement, which okay. is called The Pines Near a Catacomb. Okay. All right. And this is very serene. It's, you, you imagine something in the evening basically mm-hmm. as the sun is going down and pine trees standing next to a, an ancient grave site. Mm-hmm. And this movement, Mark, you have to tell them about the trumpet solo in this movement. This, this is a gorgeous trumpet solo. It's a very basic melody that's actually based on an old chant. Huh. 
Actually, I have a, a copy of the chant uh, oh, cool. written out. Um, and so you will hear it. It's very vocal, very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's played off stage so that it's coming eerily from the distance. Really? Off stage? But it's stage. so beautiful. So I love to, mm-hmm. I mean, when we play that, that first movement is so exciting and it's all you can do to hang on and get all the notes in. And then during this music right here, this is my transport music when I'm walking off stage to play the off stage mm-hmm. part. And it's such beautiful music already. Yeah, I don't, and sometimes I don't want to come in, yeah. but then when it is my turn, of course I, I play it, but it's, it's a really beautiful solo. Yeah. This movement is very prayer-like. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, Much more somber. It is, yeah. it's solemn. We'll have to tell him the, the famous story uh, about what happened to one of the offstage trumpet players. I don't know if it was George Zell or... I don't know that I know the story. Oh. Do I not? There it is, oh, right here. So you're actually off stage playing it. He's off stage. It's instructed to be lontano in the in the distance. Mm-hmm. So it uh, is. We have at the Moore's Opera House what we call the donut. If you've ever been in, you mm-hmm. know, on the ceiling is this huge ring, and it's the Frank Stella artwork. Uh-huh. But it's actually a catwalk. And I did the Pines once. Uh, this is maybe ten years ago, and I put the trumpet player up uh. there. And everything worked beautiful in rehearsals. And then for the concert, <laughs> I didn't know what was happening because all of a sudden I see this bell sticking out the, the door to the stage. And, the, and I thought to myself, because I couldn't ask him, why are you not up in the donut? The door was locked. <laughs> and he ran around trying to find somebody to let him in. And he panicked because it takes a while to get up there in the uh-huh. first place. And then he's got to get back down. He was all out of breath. And he just botched the solo to Kingdom Come. I mean, oh, he had no, br- no. He was running up and down these steps, and then he finally ended up just playing right off stage. And he was so out of breath that he missed more notes than he got. And boy, he had some explaining to do to me. I mean, he tried so hard. <laughs> he tried so hard. That's crazy. I can't imagine trying to play it. I used to play trumpet in school band, and I cannot imagine playing trumpet while out of breath. It's not it's easy, hard. and yeah. those kind of—that's the joys of. Uh, early in my career, I was an associate principal, and mm-hmm. sort of came my task always to cover all the offstage work um, yeah. because you're always running and playing and climbing ladders and having to carry horns. And uh, I remember playing a Festa Romana for um, um, uh, Friedrich de Burgos, uh-huh. and he wanted us to play part of it on flugelhorn, and I'm climbing a ladder with a flugelhorn and a trumpet backstage in Atlanta and I remember getting dents what? in my horn and all kinds of but you have to do just crazy things like that That's and insane. and they don't they don't care what you've had to do they just uh-huh. go hey don't miss any notes <laughs> I had no Who's idea they? you're talking about me <laughs> no I'm talking about you would be you of course, you're too nice you would never say that but Frubeck Frubeck had a, a streak you know uh, but uh it, it it is one of those things we have all kinds of stuff we have to do backstage yeah. and it actually gets to be thrilling 
truthfully. Yeah, I'm sure you're living on the edge. If you've done it uh, the same offstage solo several times, uh-huh. um, uh, like a Beethoven Land or a three or something, I had a cop try to stop me once playing it because they thought I was interrupting the concert. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the story I was talking, I was thinking about, but it was the the Beethoven. It wasn't the, the respect. Uh, I've actually yeah. actually had a cop backstage at Jones no Hall at. Yes, it was a, a woman who tried to stop me from playing, and I didn't stop, and I finished, and I said, I'm supposed to be doing this. That is so... Do you know that you are the, you're the second person uh, that has been stopped by... that we've had on the show who's been stopped by uh, the authorities uh-huh. from... <laughs> from doing their job. <laughs> we had uh, Oystein Buzvik, the, the tuba player, and he was telling us a story about touring with this um, this band, and... And he gets to the door to go into the club to play, and they stop him, and they're like, no, you can't come in. And he's like, no, but I'm the tuba player with the rock band. And they're like, yeah, right. <laughs> Did he talk his way in? <laughs> he eventually? finally got in, but yeah. it, it, it yeah. almost yeah. came to blows. It was, That's you a know. Story. Yeah. <laughs> We've got to do a little of the last movement yeah. because the oh, last, yes, I'd we love have to, to talk okay. about the last movement. The last movement is the the Pines of the Appian Way, and they're the, the road. Uh, stop me if I'm wrong here, but I've always assumed these were the soldiers on their way um, into Rome. Is that correct? After victory at and, war, and uh, uh-huh. you can hear the soldiers sort of. There's a plodding of the of the steps of the yeah. soldiers, and as it gets closer and closer, it gets more and more exciting. And once again, if you're not moved by the end of this, mm-hmm. you're dead. <laughs> this is exciting as music gets. I love playing this. I never, never get tired yeah. of playing this movement. Here we go. And you hear with a piano. Mm-hmm. Hear it? Yeah. Those are the footsteps. Right, left, right. It's very John Williams. Left, right. The Roman legions all in consort coming back to Rome. John Williams bothered, borrowed from everyone. <laughs> even even Respighi. Yes, he yeah. borrowed from everyone. <laughs> Jaws ripped off from Respighi. Who knew? This music to me always has a sense of present and past. When mm-hmm. when you listen to this, you you imagine the physical legion coming at you, but you also imagine spirits of the past of past legions. Yeah. You 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 feel it in the music. Yeah. You're yeah. right. I've never I've never put it's, that into it words. All, it all comes right. together for me. It, hmm. It's the the physical and the memory of past legions and the victories and. Huh victorious returning to Rome. Yeah. And this is such a grand entrance as as it, I mean ending as it builds. He employs offstage brass banda. Mm. So he's got three or four trumpets and a couple of trombones. Sometimes people use uh, Wagner tubas to get it just as bandy and ripe as it can get. Yeah. Uh, but he, you know, Respighi doesn't miss a trick. Now, this is sort of the end of the introduction, and now we start with the meat and potatoes. This is just a long crescendo now. And the other thing about this, this piece starts, this movement starts Mm -hmm. very soft as if the Legion is still a mile outside the city, but the entire spinning out Mm -hmm. of the movement, the music gets louder and louder and louder as the Legions get closer to the awaiting crowds in the streets. Mm -hmm. So it's one big crescendo. 
And this is the beginning of it right here. From this point, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. There's your banda. We're not there yet. Oh, we're not there yet? <laughs> Is that out of that? over really it keeps building and building and <laughs> the orchestra is going to explode. <laughs> that was great. And when you hear our students do yeah. this, there's something about youth mm. that comes through in, in music like this. I mm -hmm. mean, those kids will give it a 100% kick in the seat of the pants this whole concert. They do it every year, every concert. Yeah. It, yeah. I, it's, it, I think it's, a lot of times it's the first time they've played oh, this. Oh, in uh -huh. many cases. And I still, I mean, you know, I'm no spring chicken and when i play this i still get so excited i have to like calm myself down <laughs> because I, you love what you do yeah. and the sound is so wonderful you can't control yourself and i have to dial it back a little yeah. um these kids will be so excited playing this and the, they're around kids as good as they are yeah and they're the mm -hmm. best yeah. that we can find it must right? be so exciting mm -hmm. to play that with and, with and they're equally groups. talented yeah. and so the, this is the first time they've ever been anything like in a professional mm -hmm. orchestra um, yeah it's just the quality and what's going on it's just amazing to be think of how exciting it is for you when you hear the concert mm -hmm. i will tell you when you're sitting amidst the sound it's even oh my more gosh. exciting yeah i bet yeah. I bet. Yeah. And then, I mean, I was going to say that energy has to translate. To, it's, to oh, the, it's awesome. The it's like a, it's like a circuit. And then you get in the performance, it goes out in the audience and the audience gives it yeah. back to you and you feed on it. 
Yeah. Now you know why it's... conductors do what they do. They're standing up there and they have all of that sound around them. Mm-hmm. It's like the most amazing stereo system you can buy. Wow. And it's they're in the middle of it and they're controlling it. Mm-hmm. And that's why they're yeah. that's why the last chord always goes so long because you don't want to let go of it. But like, it's got like a rush. I mean, it's well, got to be like a rush. It's like an organist. You hear. Mm-hmm. A, a big mm-hmm. pipe organ in a big cathedral, yeah. always on the last chord. Those guys will just hold it for like it mm-hmm. seems like thirty seconds, yeah, because they it, want to let go of it's it. Amazing. And that's it kind of the amazing. feeling you get yeah. when you're holding things like that with the well, orchestra. Yeah. And listeners, you too, if you're in the Houston area, can go out and hear this music performed and see Franz dancing well, or doing whatever it is. See me, yeah, I've been doing this a long time. See, come and see yeah. these students. They come, come, okay, come literally from all over the globe. Yeah. They come from Europe. They come from Asia, yeah. from South America, from Canada, from mm-hmm. I don't know how many states. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they are good. And this is going to be uh, at the Moore School of Music. Moore School of Music, um, Moore's Opera House. Campus. It's yes. University of Houston, sorry. Um, and, and the festival, I know, is running from... June third to July second, but when will the well, performance of this music happen? Well, this what all this music you've heard today is my concert. I'm the first one. That's the 11th of June, which is okay. a Saturday. Okay. So that's the the opening concert. Gotcha. And then every Saturday thereafter, four in a row. Great. Uh, with a different guest conductor each week and cool. different music, and it's fantastic. Well, I know I want to go check some out. So listeners, again, if you're in the Houston area. Go and check out some of the Texas Music Festival. Franz and Mark, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having us. It, it was is a pleasure to meet you guys. We look pleasure. forward to seeing you our on the 11th. Pleasure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you Indeed. know, that sounds fun. <laughs> and we didn't even get to the tartini. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. For more Classroom, go to HoustonPublicMedia.org slash Classroom. You can uh, follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, YouTube, etc. Don't forget to rate us and review us on iTunes to help us win at podcasting. Thanks to audio producer Todd Totally Tubular Holslander for making us sound nice. Thanks to editor Mark DeClaudio for his piercing, like, oh my God, eyes. Thanks to Franz on Don Krager for, and Mark Hughes for being here today. Uh, thanks to me for saying words. And thanks to you for listening. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>